Today's daf is Ayn Zayin in Yoma. We are on Ayn Vav Amud Bet. We are five lines from the bottom, which is basically the wide line there, the first wide line. And it's re- I stopped it because the, uh, the Agadah here is going to continue into the upcoming daf all the way down to uh, most of the upcoming Amud. So that's why I stopped there on Shabbat because I didn't want to continue into the story and either break up the story or rush the story. So, uh, but it's going back in the Pasuk that we mentioned before that talked about Daniel fasting and all of that. And uh, the fact that he was abstaining from any kind of uh, putting any uh, 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 anything on his body, and it called that a ta'anit. It caused the, called the fact that he didn't anoint his body ta'anit. And then said, Vani bati and that's Gavriel, the Malach Gavriel is talking to Daniel, and he says to him, I came by your word. I came where? What is talking about? I came there. So, my Vani bati and Rashi explains the question is based on my tiny grash In other words, he's saying that I re-entered the circle of Hashem, so to speak, like I, the inner circle that I was excluded from. Gabriel is telling Daniel that because of you, I was able to get access to the uh, VIP uh, uh, lounge in the Shemaim or something like that, so to speak. You know, so the question is going to be, what's the story? And it's going to give us a long story here. This is what it's talking about in Yechezkel. Really, now we're going to skip to story of Yechezkel. There were 70 men of the elders of Israel. And, the, the, and this pasuk is, uh, uh, from, again, this is from Yechezkel's Perek Chet in Yechezkel. Okay? And Vyaznayu ben Shafan was the most distinguished one standing among them. And, and they were, and Vyish, this is a vision that Yechezkel is having. In other words, he sees all these elders of Israel and they're holding ketoret in their hands and the ketoret is going up. Each one has a ketoret container uh, of the bisamim and, 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 the, and the, the cloud is going upwards. And then it says, and then a type of a form of a hand came out. In other words, Yechezkel is grabbed by a, uh, by a hand that emerges, even though really this pasuk comes before it's bringing the psukim kind of out of order, but you know the point is that this hand comes. It grabs me by my head, by the locks of my hair. And a wind carried me. He went on a uh, magic carpet ride, but without the carpet, he was just flying in the sky, right? And he brought me to Jerusalem. Obviously, this is in a in a vision. This didn't happen, and uh, we didn't really fly, right? Talking about that, it's a vision. To the um, to the door of the inner gate, which faces to the north, which is where the idol was placed. In other words, he's talking about the idolatry that was being practiced in the first Beit Hamikdash. Now, there's a big discussion, um, uh, and now we're already on Ayn Zayinam There's a big discussion about whether this is literal or not, or whether this just, in other words, were they actually worshiping idols in this way, or this was just a vision that Yechizkel was given to show the depth of the corruption. Not that the people were actually worshiping these idols inside the Beit HaMikdash and Bayit Rishon, the way that it's described, but that this vision is trying to say that even though it looks like everything is fine in the Beit HaMikdash, and you think that you see all these elders and all that doing all these things, really, they're all involved in Avodah Zohar. And then it says, Vayaveoti el chatzer Beit HaShem Pnimit, and then I, uh, Hashem brought me into, the, or the Malach brought me into the inner courtyard, I saw the uh, the opening of the Kodesh, which is the Hechal is between the Mizbeach and the uh, and uh, between the altar and the um, and the outer chamber. I saw twenty five people. Their backs were to the sanctuary. and their faces were to the east. 
Fema mishtachavim ken malashemish. And that's actually what the pasuk says. Umishtachavitem ken malashemish is the pasuk. But because it's a weird word, the editor probably tried to correct it. But the point is that they were facing this. They were their backs were facing to the west. The west is the kodesh kodeshim, and their front was facing to the east because they were bowing to the sun. Now, again, I mentioned before, these visions don't necessarily mean, like the Mepharshim discussed, it doesn't mean that actually there's 25 people going in the Kodesh every day bowing to the sun. Why would they do that? But it's trying to say that what you see looks like everything is good in the Beit HaMikdash. Really, there's idolatry, you know, rampant idolatry that's infected everything. And it might not see, see that on the surface, but in this vision, he sees it, okay? And now, from the fact that it says that their faces were facing east, so obviously I know that their rear was facing the Hechal, because the Kodesh, the Kodesh is to the west. What does it mean that their back was to the Hechal? What it means is that they were actually going to the bathroom in there, just like the way that they would... Uh, like for Baal Peor, they would reveal, they would undress themselves and they would go to the bathroom. As they were doing that towards the Kodesh of Kodeshim. In other words, the, the, the point is that they had descended to a level of, you know, uh, depravity and idolatry that was very bad. That's what Yechezkel is being shown in these visions where, you know, he sees the elders doing things that they shouldn't be doing, offering Ketorah. He sees people bowing the way they shouldn't be bowing. Um, now, the, the, these are all Psukim. So far, it's all Psukim. Right now he's going to say a story. Hashem said to Michael, who is Sari Yisrael, he is the Malach of the Jewish people. Michael, your nation has become very bad. Because Don't worry, there are some good people. You don't have to destroy them because they're tzaddikim. Even though it's true that they're bad people, they're also good tzaddikim in there too. Hashem said to him, I'm going to burn them and the good people. Now, Tosafot explains, and we know from other, other uh, from Masechet Shabbat, that the reason why the tzaddikim were punished was because they didn't do anything. Right, they didn't do anything about the... Uh, about all the evil that was going on. So Hashem said, I'm going to punish the good and the bad because they're all responsible. And then Vayomer, and now the Pasuk says, and this Pasuk is from, again, from Yechezkel. It's Yechezkel is seeing like this divine judgment going on because Hashem showed him all the bad things that are happening and now he's showing him like the Malachim planning to destroy Jerusalem. Because remember, Yechezkel left. There were two waves of Galut from Jerusalem to Bavel. The first one was the Galut Yehoyachin, it's called, which was the Galut of the elite of Jerusalem, the best people that, you know, the northern kingdom was already long gone. We're talking about just the Jerusalem, uh, like what was left of Malchut Yehuda was exiled, the times Yehoyachin, uh, that was one of the best people. And basically, uh, Nebuchadnezzar left there like the low class people, whatever, whoever was left, the bottom, bar, bottom of society was left. Yechezkel left with the first group 11 years before the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. The community that remained there uh, with Gedalia and everything, they stayed there for the next 11 years until the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. And as you can imagine, there was during the time of Yechezkel, and a lot of the book of Yechezkel talks about it, a big argument. What's going to happen here? Oh, there were the, of course, the very um, zealous... Uh, Zionists who believe that any day now we're all going back, so don't settle in Bavel because we're going right back. We're going to make it back to Eretz Israel. The Beit Hamikdash is still there, and you, you know, for a decade, eleven years after they left, it was still there. So they thought they were going to go back, and then Yechezkel was always told by Hashem, "No, the Beit Hamikdash is going to be destroyed. It's not. It's going to get worse before it gets better. You know, basically, it's not going to get better now. It's going to get worse before it gets better." So Yechezkel sees the vision of like this divine judgment taking place, and Hashem says. The Ish Lavush Abadim is the Malach Gavriel in the, in the vision. Okay, he says to him, Vayomer, Bo El Benot Legalgal El Tachadakuf, come to the 
space between the wheel under the kruv. The kruv is like a type of malach that also Yechezkel sees in the vision of the chariot. The kruvim, these different kinds of cherubs are called in English, right? And, and, and they have wheels, right? They're ofanim and wheels and things like that and galgalim. And in between them is fire. So he said to go there, el tachad the kruv, he told them, take in your hands um, coals, hot coals, from between the kuvim. I want you to, in front of my eyes to take it and to throw it onto, the, uh, uh, in, in, onto Jerusalem. In other words, that's the malach destroying the city. Right now, obviously, this is Yechezkel seeing it in a, you know, what's going on in the spiritual realm. He's seeing it in a vision. But the idea is that Hashem said to Gabriel, take these coals, throw it on the city. That means I'm going to destroy the city, right? Now, what happens? What? Now he's talking to Gavriel in this pasuk. And this pasuk is on Gavriel. But the Lavusha Badim is Gavriel. Before he said to Now, Miyad, what, did it, what happened actually in Lemaseh? Instead of Gavriel going and taking the coals directly, the Malach himself, the Kruv, the higher Malach, he took it himself, the fire, and he handed it. Right, and then he and it says, "Vayishlach akuvet yado mi benot akuvim el aish asher benot el aish asher benot akuvim vayisa vayitzen el chofne levush abadim vayikach vayitzen." In other words, instead of Gabriel directly taking from the coals, the hot coals they saw and throwing it, the, mal, the another malach, this kruv, this one of the kuvim, right? He took he took the the gachal He took the fire and he put it in the hands of Gabriel, so he didn't do it directly. Okay, now that wasn't the right procedure. Right? So what happened? You know what? If it hadn't been for the fact that that Kruv had taken the coals and put it in the hands of Gavriel, if Gavriel had taken it directly, the entire Jewish people would have been destroyed. Meaning that it cooled off a little bit in, in the transfer. It's like when you make Klishe of Shabbat. You take the tea, you know, you put in the water in one cup, you move it to another cup. You, you, it becomes a little bit cooled off. So it said it cooled off a little bit in the hands of the first uh, angel. So by the time it got to Gavriel's hands, it wasn't fully destructive. So that's why it says the Sonehem Shali It means the Jewish people, right? The Jewish people wouldn't have left anyone. Would have been gone. Uchtiv, and it says, V'hinei ha'ish lavush abadim asher kezet b'motnav meshiv davar lemor asit yashativilani. And then the Malach, who's called lavush abadim, was wearing the uh, linen tunic or whatever it was, linen garment. He says to Hashem, Right, which is Gavriel, and he has also a pen there or something to engrave things because because in that whole vision, he tell, Hashem tells him to write things on people's foreheads. It's a whole thing. It's a whole interesting vision. But anyway, he says, I did what you commanded me. Because of that, they kicked Gavriel outside of the VIP lounge of the Shemaim. That's why I said before, I got to come back in. So this whole story was to tell us how he got kicked out of the inner circle that he had to come back in, right? That was the discussion. That was how we got onto the story. Got onto the story because it said that Gabriel said to Daniel, because of you, I was excluded from the inner circle that I got back in because of you. We're going to see how he got back in. But first of all, why was he out? He was out because he didn't follow instructions. He didn't take the calls directly. And then he said, oh yeah, I did what I was supposed to do. But he did it. They took him outside. They gave him 60 lashes of fire. Bad punishment. They said to him, If you didn't do the job, you didn't do the job. Meaning, if you're not going to do the job because you wanted to wait and see you delayed a little bit, you're buying time, you want to see if things get better, maybe Hashem will, you know, the decree will change. Fine. They didn't do it. Why didn't you, if you're going to go do the, world, the, the job, you have to do it right. In other words, it's one thing 
to say, to, to say, I want to delay doing the job. I'm going to drag my feet a little bit. I'm supposed to throw these coals on Jerusalem. I'm going to wait and see. Maybe things will change. Maybe a few more days. I'll do tshuva. I don't know. Something positive. Right? But, it, but you're going to do it. But then do it the right way. Once you're going to do it, you have to do it the way you're commanded. Right? Don't we also have a rule that you don't report back bad news? In other words, if you fulfill a mission that's a destructive mission, even if you're supposed to do it, you don't come back and say, oh, guess what? I did everything I was supposed to do. You're not supposed to come back and say that. So you're in trouble. You're in timeout. Gabriel is in timeout. Now, I told it, Dubiel. Who did they bring in as a substitute? Dubiel. I love these names. You know, like Dov is a bear, right? So this is the Persian, of course, because it always says that the Persians are the Dubim. It says that the Persians are Domeladov. The Persian is similar to the, to the, to the bear because they, they, for different reasons the Gemara gives, right? So, it's, so this is the Malach of the Persians, Dubiel. Okay? Now what happens to him? Sarad de Parsei is the Persian uh, 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 angel. Right? For 21 days he got to take over for Gavriel. Gavriel was uh, on time out. He was on an um, unpaid leave or something, you know, from his job. And the Dubiel takes over. Right? That's why it says that Gavriel told Daniel that the, the angel of Paras is in front of me for 21 days. Right? And then it says, So it says that, uh, he says, the, the angel Michael came to help me. Um, and I was there with the kings of Paras, the Persian kings. Okay? Now the thing is, uh, they gave the prince, now because the prince of, uh, you know, meaning the angel of, uh, of, um, of, uh, of Persia is, get, gets this new position. So obviously with every promotion comes certain benefits. You know, you expect like what's in the contract. I, I'm taking over Gabriel, so what am I going to get? So he gave him 21 kings and also a port called Mashiga port of, you know, that well, you can collect, I guess, uh, you, you, that it says that uh, they would, um, they would, it was a, a port that had a lot of uh, uh, pearls that would come up. They would, they would be fishing for pearls or maybe they also, I'm sure they charged also taxes and things like that, right? So Amari said, Write that I can collect taxes from the Jews, meaning the Persians are going to be able to rule over the Jews and collect money from them. They did it. He said, I want you to also write that the rabbis have to pay taxes. No tax exempt for the religious people. So, they did it. When they were about to seal it, Gavriel Gavriel was behind the curtain now because, you know, he's outside. The, he was kicked out of the lounge of there. He's not in the center. So, what do you do? This is a pasuk that's describing, that's interpreted. It's from Tehilim. It says, those who get up early and stay late eating bread of, uh, of worry and stress, okay? Hashem will give the, his friend sleep. In other words, it's saying that how can you treat, what is it, what the pasuk is saying, the way that the Chazal interpret this pasuk is it means the people who work. As she says, how could you place the Chachamim in the hands of the Persians? The, the wise men of Israel can put in the hands of the Persians. When you see that the Chachamim is supposed to be treated, the people who are just the, the ones who go to work 
and the, it says, and, and they just work all the time, and they come home tired, and they go to sleep. That, that's not a, you know, that's not a zechut. The zechut goes to the chachamim, because what do we say about this pasuk, that he gives his friend sleep? What does that mean? Even the wives of Talmidei Chachamim, they lose out on sleep in this world. They get a special olam because of what they lose out on sleep in this world. And certainly that, if that applies to the wives of the Talmidei Chachamim, certainly to the Talmidei Chachamim themselves. So when you see that, the, that, that in Tehilim, David is basically saying the people are just workaholics and they just work, work, work. Those people are not on the same level. Even the wife of a Talmid Chacham gets a bigger zechut than a person who's work, work, work all the time in the material things. So how could you say, how could you put the Chachamim into the hands of the uh, of the nations of the world, but they didn't listen to him. But Amar Lefanav said to Hashem, If you put all of the wise men of the nations of the world in a scale on one side, and he put and he put Daniel on the other side of the scale, lo kulam. Wouldn't he be heavier than all of them? In other words, isn't Daniel greater than all the Chachamim? So if you see that the nations of the world treat their uh, wise people with some preference, they treat them with some kavod, so definitely the Chachmei Israel, Daniel being one of the Chachmei Israel, you have to treat them with some kavod, you can't just put them under the tax collectors of the, uh, uh, of the Persians. Amara Kadosh Baruch Hu, Hashem said, Who is this who is trying to find a zechut, trying to find a merit for my children? Gabriel, it's Gabriel. He said, let the Gabriel come back into the VIP lounge. That's why Gabriel said to Daniel, I got back in to the inner circle because of you. Meaning because I mentioned you and your zechut. Hashem said, oh, you're looking to bring a zechut for, my, uh, for, my, for the Jewish people? Now you can come back in. They brought him in. Now he sees his 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 uh, substitute Dubiel, the Persian uh, angel, and he has the He had the letter on it that said that he was going to be able to uh, collect taxes from the Chachamim. So he wanted to grab it. So Balasa, what did Dubiel do? He ate it. So what good does that do that he ate the letter? So the problem was that since it was never sealed, it was only signed, so it was of no use. So therefore the Chachamim were saved. But it really was sealed also. But when the, when the Persian got, uh, uh, angel ate it, he wiped off the seal. So he canceled out the decree inadvertently. He was trying to protect it. But he actually canceled it out, and that's why they weren't. And that says, de malchuta de paras." That's why in the malchuta paras, they have very, um, they have very uh, unpredictable, inconsistent taxes. Some people do pay, some people don't pay. Something else because of this, because the angel took the letter that authorized the taxation and he swallowed it and he messed up the decree. So some of sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Very inconsistent, very uh, unpredictable taxes. Okay, and then it says. Um, that uh, I went out and the um and the uh uh the um uh, the uh angel of Yavan came in and then it says avi avi but he cried out he cried out but nobody listened in other words when Gavriel saw that now the Persians are going to go out and the and the Greeks are going to come he cried out but it didn't help but the, because then the Greeks took over after that so the, but the point was interesting story but the the sidebar of the story was just to show the whole point of the story bringing with the Cheskel and seeing all of this the idolatry going in the Beit Hamikdash and all that was to show that Gavriel was even though it's interesting because Gavriel was originally excluded for not fully doing the destructive thing against the Jewish people that he was supposed to do 
But then when he came back and he said positive things about the Jews, he was brought back in. So it seems like, it, so I, I'm, I'm not sure, but maybe that part of the lesson is like, when the Jews really des- deserve, like if they deserve the punishment, you can't just like interfere and, and obstruct justice. If there's justice to be done, it has to be done. The Malach can't like obstruct justice. But if he has limud zechut, if he can bring an argument to defend them, that's a different story. Bringing argument to defend and argue for their case, that's one thing. But like undermining the process, you can't do it. So when he undermined the process, he got in trouble. But when he came with a uh, zechut for them, so then he was able to regain access. I think that maybe that's the lesson. Now, is this a story? Don't take it so literally. It's a story. That's it. Now, in the ve'ibayit em alternatively or chitzadika inu iminal. So, but earlier we said earlier we said that the um, that the uh, that chitza we learned from Dani, from Daniel because it says vesochlo sachti. The extra word soch means that he also didn't wash in addition to not anointing, and that means that 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 washing is considered to be abstaining from washing is considered to be like ta'anit. It's inui, but it says there's another possible source of the inui, which is. Actually, Shlomo banished Evyatara Kohen because Evyatara had been a confidant of, of David, a supporter of David, but he banished him to Anatot. We know Anatot was a Kohen city because that's where Yirmiyahu was from, actually. But the... Um, he said, uh, because you're, you really deserve death. Why do you deserve death? Because he actually sided with Adoniyahu. Even though through the whole career of David, he was on David's side, when, there, when Adoniyahu rebelled against Shlomo or tried to uh, undermine Shlomo to take the kingdom, Eviatar sided with Adoniyahu. So therefore, uh, he really deserved death. But he said, I'm not going to kill you. He said, I'm not going to kill you because you carried the Aaron in front of my father David. And you also suffered everything that my father suffered. In other words, because you were with my father and you went through so much suffering for my father, I can't kill you. Even though what you did was wrong. So I'm banishing you. I'm banishing you to Anatot, but I'm not going to kill you because you were with my father. But it says that he suffered, and it used the word Inui. He endured suffering with David, Eviatar did. So the question is, Uchtiv baby David, ki am ra'ev ve'ayef midbar. It's that they said that the people of David who were in exile running from Avshalom, right, which was when Eviatar was still with David, right, he was running from Avshalom, that they're hungry, thirsty, and tired. So ra'av milechem. So, so I'm Ra'ev Milechem. Hungry means bread. Vitzameh Mimayim. Thirsty means water. Ayef Mimay. La Verochitzah. Doesn't being tired mean not able to wash? In other words, person feels like disgusting. They don't feel good. Right? Well, it's a Right, maybe, but, but they always said that it was. Yeah, but here we're adding another element. Here they're focusing mostly on what does Ayef mean. Because what's the difference between Ra'ev, Vitzameh, Ve'ayef? What is Ayef? So it's saying Ayef means he can't wash. Okay? But how do you know? Vidil, Maminilat, the sandal. Maybe it means because he didn't have shoes. Right? How do you know that it means because he didn't have washing? There's a lot of things David didn't have when he was on the run from Shlomo, from Avshalom. How do you know that... Uh, how do you know that it's specifically talking about the washing? Rather, Yitzchak says from the following pasuk, and he says, "Oh, should they Rav Nachman bar Yitzchak here?" Fine. It says, "Ma'im karim al nefesh ayefa." It says, "Cold water on a tired soul." So you see from that, the tiredness means somebody who wants to wash up to get refreshed. They can't get refreshed because they can't wash up. 
So that's why it means David was tired, meaning he didn't have a chance to wash, because washing gives you energy. You wash, you, you wake up. Right? A lot of people, they have to wash in the morning, they have to take a shower in the morning before they go to work to wake themselves up. It's part of their routine, right? Same thing. Vedilma mishtia. Again, maybe it's talking about drinking. How do you know that st- when it says, Maim karim al nefesh maybe that means the guy's tired because he's thirsty. It says, no, mikitiv benefesh ayifa. It doesn't say in the soul, it says, al nefesh ayifa kitiv. On a tired soul, meaning it's referring to a person who's tired and needs to wash up. That's where you see the word ayif means lacking washing. And you see that David suffered from lacking washing. And that's called an inui. Okay? Now, unilat zandal minalan. Where do we get the idea that not wearing leather shoes is considered to be suffering? Dichtiv v'david ole v'malei azetim ole v'boche v'orosho chafui. And what's the pasuk supposed to say? It corrects it on the side. Uh, corrected it. What is it? Okay. Right. Right. So when he was walking and he was crying because he had been banished from Jerusalem, he had to run away from Absalom. He was crying, and it says that he was. He had uh, his his head was covered, and he was barefoot. Right. It means that he obviously didn't have shoes. So you see from that that suffering, not having shoes, is considered suffering. And it should say, the right word is, umitarka, meaning maybe what it means barefoot is he didn't have a horse and he didn't have a whip. Meaning to say, like, for a king to walk on foot is, like, already a disgrace. Like, why is a king walking on the foot? So that's what it means, barefoot. It doesn't necessarily mean barefoot without shoes. It means he had to walk on the floor instead of on a horse, right? So that, so it doesn't prove anything. Rather, we have to learn from a different place, if we want to find what that nilata sandal uh, that or taking off shoes is considered suffering, wearing shoes is considered a pleasure. We learn it from what Hashem told Yeshayahu to do, because He says lech sagmel motnech. I said undo the sackcloth that is on your loins alcha tachalot and He said and take off the uh, shoes from your feet. So He told Yeshayahu uchtiv ayaskein haloch arom viachef. It says that he went and he was walking naked and barefoot. Now, he wasn't actually totally naked, obviously, but meaning to say that Yeshayahu undid his clothes. He was partially unclothed. And, he, and it says he was Yechef. And it says he took off his shoes. So obviously, barefoot means without shoes. Yechef. So Yechef mimai, love me not nilata sandal. Obviously, it means without shoes. So Nova Maybe it doesn't actually mean literally that he wore no shoes at all. Maybe it just means he wore bin. shoes that were ragged, like shoes that were in bad shape. Because you don't assume that he actually walked around naked, right? It means that he had to wear ragged clothes. So we don't assume that Yeshayahu was walking around naked and barefoot. We assume that he was walking around in ragged clothes and ragged shoes. Okay, but we still haven't shown a proof that now wearing shoes is considered inui. Now we have the word yachef by David Melech, but yeah, and that's inui, suffering, but we don't know that yachef necessarily means being without any shoes at all. So now it says, uh, It says, keep your, sh- your feet away from, uh, uh, from being barefoot. And keep your, um, your throat away from being thirsty. Meaning, Hashem told the people to stop doing bad things so they wouldn't have to endure barefootedness in going into the exile and thirst, going into the exile. Right? And of course, they didn't listen. That's the Pasuk in Yirmiyahu. And the people said, no, we don't, we don't want to listen. 
Right? But the point is, min keep yourself away from sin, so that you will not have to be in a situation where your feet are bare and you're walking around. Min keep your tongue away from saying bad things or saying wasteful things, so that your mouth will not come, your throat won't come to thirst. In other words, that pasuk shows you that he's telling them it's midakeneged midah. If you use your mouth for bad things, you're going to be thirsty. If you use your feet for bad things, uh, you know, you, you, you're going to be, uh, you go to do sins with, with, with your feet, so then uh, you're going to end up at barefoot, right? But so, the, so you see from there that barefoot is considered the inu. Yechef means, inu, means barefoot, and it means that you're going to be uh, suffering. So now what about Tashmisha Mitah? Where do we get the idea Tashmisha Mitah is a type of suffering? Tashmisha Mitah dikra inui minalan. It says, if you torture my daughters, and, and, and Lavan is saying, if you torture my daughters, or you take other wives on my daughters, meaning you can't add any wives from now on, and don't torture them. And we interpret, means, uh, that don't stop being intimate with them. In other words, you're not allowed to mistreat them, and that would mean like cutting off intimacy with them, you're not allowed to do that. So cutting off intimacy is called Inuit, because saying, don't do that to my daughters. Right? So then it says, Im what does it mean? It means don't torture her, don't torture my daughters, meaning don't withhold intimacy. And when it says don't add any, don't take any other wives, it means tsarot, meaning adding more rivals to my daughters. It's bad enough. They already have, you know, they already have four wives in the family. Don't take any more. Right? How do you know that the first part of the Pasuk and the second part of the Pasuk are two different things? Maybe Imtanet Benotai Vimtikach Nashim Al Benotai is the same thing. Don't take any more wives. It says, no, Mikitiv Imtikach Ve Imtikach Kitiv. There's a Vav there. It says, if you torture my daughters, or, right, Ve Imtikach Nashim Al Benotai, and if you take additional wives. It's two different things. Ve Ma Idividi Mitzarot, Chadetzarot Didev, Chadetzarot Datian Lemealma. Maybe what it means is that tzarot, alternative meaning extra wives, are the issue no matter what. The issue is that if imtanet binotai likach nashim meaning don't take any other wives in addition, and the, uh, you know, meaning don't take, uh, you shouldn't have like the, you shouldn't elevate bilha and zilpat too high, the ones that you already have in the household, don't elevate them too high to disenfranchise my daughters, that's number one. And, also, don't take any more wives from the outside. But maybe it's not talking about marital relations. It's talking about additional wives. And he's saying, don't elevate the status of Bilhan Zilpa. And also, don't take any more wives from the outside. Maybe that's all it means. It says, no, No, because it wouldn't work. In other words, we want to say that maybe the Imtikach and Te'ane are the same thing. That Imtane means that you shouldn't uh, elevate Bilhan Zilpa. Don't torture my daughters by elevating Bilhah and Zilpah, and also don't take any other wives from the outside. But if that's true, it should have mentioned t- not taking any wives from the outside first, because it's a Kalvachomer. In other words, you shouldn't take wives from the outside. If you're going to tell me, don't even elevate Bilhah and Zilpah from within the family, so obviously I can't take any wives from the outside. So it should have said, don't take any wives from the outside, and don't even elevate Bilhah and Zilpah. The fact that it says first, Imtanet Benotai, don't torture my daughters, means that the torturing doesn't have to do with elevating Bilhah and Zilpah in the family. It has to do with withholding marital relations, and that's where we get the idea that uh, that uh, withholding marital relations is called um, is called Inui. Okay? So now, Amalei Rav Papa Le Rabaye, 
Sometimes marital relations itself can be called torture. Like when Dina's raped, it says that he lay with her and he tortured her. Okay? But, uh, so meaning there, it sounds like the relations itself. And obviously in the case of rape, it is called inoi, when the, in the case of rape. He, but he's saying that you see that the relations themselves are called inoi. He says, in that case, it's talking about that he tortured her with other biot. Now, the, one of the interpretations of Rashi is that he did things with her that were not the natural way of having relations. But the other way of saying it is that he withheld from her, meaning that she wanted to have be more intimate with him after the first time. He said, no, not until we work out the marriage with your family, I'm not going to. So that was the Inui. The Inui was that she you wanted. Rashi says. Rashi says so. He says, He didn't want to continue with her. So then he said, and some people say, no, it means that he was doing things with her that were not natural, but that wouldn't fit really with the context of the Pasuk. It makes more sense to say that, uh, that she wanted more and she wouldn't. Why do we say that uh, he did things against her will? That's the Inui. Right. Well, that's normally what it means, but that's why they're saying, no, that if that were true, right, so, I mean, you could interpret, that I think is almost the shot, is because normally when it talks about, uh, when it talks about somebody who rapes somebody, it says, yeah. or uh, or something like that, it means yeah, rape, right, yeah, it could have been in the shot that, that's, that that would be the meaning. But it's taking it that way that he withheld Tashmish and therefore she was upset. In other words, you, you took me and now you won't have anything to do with me. You can't wash any part of your body even a little bit. If you had mud or excrement on you, you don't have to worry, wash it off. You can't anoint any part of your body, even a small part. But if you were sick or you had sores on your head, no problem to put, cream, put whatever medicine. A woman can wash her hand with water and then she can feed the baby she doesn't have to worry. In other words, she has to wash her hands for cleanliness reasons, basically, right? So then, uh, they said about Shammai, the elder Shammai, that he was so religious, he didn't want to wash his hands to feed his children, and his children were really hungry on Yom Kippur because he wouldn't wash his hand in order to feed them, but he wouldn't feed them. So therefore they were hungry. So they forced him, they made him wash both of his hands. Even though he could have just washed one to feed his kids, they wanted to show him, no, you have to wash your hand to feed your kids. What's the reason? Because of Shifta, which is the demon that rests on the hand if it's not washed in the morning. We would, nowadays we could interpret that as some kind of germs, but, they, you know, but the point is that there's something on the hands, you don't want to touch food with unclean hands. You have to, this is a hygienic thing. I mean, whether you say according to the Chazal it's a type of a demon or you say today it's a type of a virus it's a type of a, a germ. It's the same thing, meaning there's damage, physical damage that could come from not cleaning your hands. Is but the point? The it doesn't matter. Even the Rambam will say the Rambam will just interpret that and say it's cleanly. It's talking about cleanliness. That's all. Like we we talk about germs. Meaning, it doesn't make a difference whether you think the shed is a real thing, it's alive, or you think it's a, just a, a force. Actually, viruses are alive, but you know, it's it's not. You know, they understood that there are certain things operating that are microscopic, that are invisible. They didn't know, every, they didn't have microscopes, so maybe they didn't know exactly what they are, but they had an idea. So, if a person wants to go visit his father or his teacher, he can go through water up to his neck, he doesn't have to worry. Now, I remember Rabbi Ben Chaim commented on this many times that um, you see that they had a very short tefillah. 
on Yom Kippur because they had time to go visit people. They're crossing ocean. They're going. They're doing all these things on Yom Kippur. Like how 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 to have time for that? Uh, when, when, yeah, yeah. When I was in yeshiva, actually, they had only had vatikin minyan vatikin at sunrise for Yom Kippur. So we were, and they they were they finished at like. 10 o'clock, people would go home and they would take a nap, they would learn, or they would take a nap, come back, come back from Minchat at 2 o'clock, have like four hours break in the middle of the day. So, the, so you could do it, it's possible. Right. Yeah. Was the, the Kohen Gadol show. Yeah. Everybody was watching. Everyone else was watching him, yeah. Ibai, Ibai Lude asked a question, Tamid, Mike, and the Rav comes to the Talmud, in other words, the point is that you can go visit your teacher or your, your father, even though you have to walk through water, because your intent is not to wash, even though you're going to get wet, right? Your intent is not to wash, so you're allowed to... What about the teacher coming to see the, the student? I saw, said Rabbi Yitzchak Barbarachana, that, um, that Ziri went and visited Rabbi Chia Barashi, who was his student. Barashi said, no, that's not true. That was Rabbi Chia Barashi that came to Ziri. You have it backwards. Okay? Rabbi, he went to his teacher. In other words, we don't have a, a, a source for a teacher coming to see a student. Only the other way around. Now, Ravasha, um, Rav said that they could even go to the, uh, they could cross the water on Yom Kippur even to go watch their fruits. In other words, they had to have people watching all the time, watching their, checking on their business so that things would not um, go bad and things would not be stolen or whatever. So they would they could go on on Yom Kippur to check their fields and check their uh, thing even to going through the water, right? So I have a proof for you because it says that the people who are watching fruits they can go to synagogue in the morning they go to the they go back to their post watching the fruits they walk through the water it's no problem even though it's Yom Kippur. Rav Yosef Rav Yosef allowed the people in Beit Arbu to cross through water on Yom Kippur to come to the Shi'ur, right? But he didn't allow them to go back afterwards. In other words, he only allowed them to come to the Shi'ur, but he didn't allow them to go home. Abayi said that's a bad policy because if they know they can only come, they're not going to come if they know they can't go back. They're only going to come if they know they can go back. Some say, no, actually, he was the one, Rav Yosef was the one who permitted them both ways. And Amar Abaye Abaye said, I understand to come, makes sense. What's the reason why you let them go home? In other words, in, this ver- in the first version, Rav Yosef didn't let them go home, and Abaye challenged that. In the second version, he let them go home, and Abaye challenged that. Why are you letting them go home? He said, so he said back to him, no, because otherwise next year they won't come at all because they're going to know that they don't have a chance of returning home, uh, you know, after they hear the shiur, so they're not going to come. Rav Yehuda, Rav Shmuel Bar Rav Yehuda, it should say something else apparently, it should say Bar, oh, Bar Yehuda, not Rav Yehuda, okay. They were standing on the uh, side of the river, Right? Yeah, the Yom Kippur. They're standing on the side of the river because they had lots of time, apparently. It says, Dinahar Prat, it was the Euphrates River. Um, so they were standing there, Amabad de Chatzdad, and they were by the uh, facing Chatzdad, certain place, okay? They were, and what happened was, Vahavaka E, Rami Bar Papa Mehachisa. So two people were standing on one side, and Rami Bar Papa was on the other side. Ramalu Kala, he called out. 
He called them and he said, Can I cross the river in order to come talk to you? On that side, I have a question. And I can't scream it across the river is too loud. I guess, you know, can I cross over? It's Yom Kippur. Am I allowed to cross over there to ask you guys a question? Rav Yehuda said to him, Rav Ushmod Amitavayu, Over, Ubevat Yado, Mitachar Chevet Chalukah. Said that Rav Yehuda, Rav Yehuda said, Rav and Shmuel both said, that you can cross, but you cannot pull up your sleeves. In other words, you might want to pull up your sleeves so they don't get wet. But the problem is, when you wear something on Shabbat or Yom Kippur, since you, you're not allowed to carry, right, it'll be considered carrying if you roll up your sleeves. You're not wearing it in a normal way. You have to wear it in a normal way. So it's considered like you're carrying it over your shoulders. Like if a person takes a talit and they wear it like a scarf instead of over their body and they go outside. So it's like carrying it on their shoulders. It's like, have you ever seen those guys working out that they have a towel? You know, you ever see the guys in the gym? Only if it's not, no, not like that. It's talking about all the way up here, meaning it's on your shoulders. And they didn't have shirts like this. They had like a tunic, you know, so they're like actually, right. So he like actually wants to pull up the shirt all the way. So it's above the water. So it doesn't get wet. Meaning they want to take their arms out of the sleeves and pull it all the way up to the shoulders so that they don't get, the shirt doesn't get wet. So you can't do because it's carrying. Or if the, like, you know, those guys in the gym, they're wearing the towel around their neck when they like that like that's what you do with the talit like that so that it's not considered wearing it it's considered carrying it so he said you can't do that but you can go through the water it's no problem right so then he says we learned and according to this version he quoted a brayta so according to this, it wasn't a quote of Rav and, from Rav and Shmuel, but it was actually a brayta. Can a person even walk through such high water on the weekday? It's too dangerous. Right? You, you can go up to water in your ne- up to your neck and you're going to drown. How could you do that? So he said, so he said that um, this is the pasuk. This is talking about the whole the thing that we saw a couple of masechtot. Uh, I think actually was in masechet uh, tzachim. So it was like uh, in the last masechet when we talked about the water that emerges from the uh, emerges from the kodesh kodeshim in the Yimot Mashiach, right it's at the end of masechet tzachim. Right, the water is going to come out and it's going to get stronger and stronger until it's a really mighty stream pouring out. And so it says that he walked him. Uh, he walked the Cheskel up to water that went up to the ankles. That was okay. You see, you're allowed to do it. Uh, he measured another thousand of distance. Then it was water of the knees. So that shows you you can go up to the knees. And then we went up to my uh, waist. Right? You see from there that you're allowed to walk in water up to the waist. Then we came after another thousand amot to a place where we could not walk anymore. In other words, any higher than the waist when it gets up to the sh- to the shoulders, you can't pass through that kind of water anymore. So you see from that, how could you tell someone to, uh, how could you tell, uh, uh, the? how could he say that they're allowed to walk uh, in water that goes up to their, up to the shoulders? It's not allowed even during the weekday. So he said to him, no, nacha, that's different. Because Amar he said, that's different because it was a, it, when you're talking about a, the, the uh, water that was coming out of the Kodesh Kodeshim, it was running water, meaning it was not, you know, like it was flowing water. It was a stream. It was moving. So therefore, if it was too high, it would sweep him away. But here we're talking about water that is not rushing quickly. Okay, water that is not rushing quickly, the person could cross and it's not dangerous. Right? Water that is rushing very quickly, like a river, 
moving very fast, if you if it's too high, it could actually pull the person under, and that's why um, that's why uh, he, he wasn't allowed to go into water that was uh, that was higher than that. So now it's and and similarly, and that's why it says. Um, Maybe you would think he could pass it by swimming. This is talking about Yechezkel again. So Talmud Lomar, that's why it says, the, uh, This is a description actually is in, I think, uh, uh, is in Yeshayahu actually. Where is that Pasuk actually? Yechizkel. This one's also from Yechezkel? I thought this goes to even this one? Yechizkel. Oh, this was also Yechezkel. Oh, the next, oh, the next one. So, so, oh, okay. Yeah. So he said, oh, because it's talking about the water that went too high, and it's called Mesachu, the water of swimming, they're saying, right? So meaning you think he could swim, but it says, no, Mesachu, my Mesachu, shiuta. It means water that requires a boat, so you can't swim. They would call it a little boat. Maybe you'll think he can cross in a small boat. Right? Uh, it says uh, that it's not possible for Onishait. It's not possible for a small boat to go. Maybe you'll say a large boat. Even a large boat cannot pass. My mashma, how do you know that means a large boat? Because we said because because when Rav Yosef translated the pasuk, he said that it meant you can't go in a fishing boat and you can't go even in a uh, large boat. Even the angel of death cannot cross this water because it says because it says there that uh, uh, floating boats cannot cross this water. It's talking about the Satan in the book of Yov. It says also that he's like floating. right? So he cannot cross the water either. What exactly that means we don't really know. But the idea is that this water was water that could not be crossed. It couldn't be crossed by swimming and, and it couldn't be crossed by a small boat and it couldn't be crossed by a large boat. It was uncrossable water once it got to a certain height. But that doesn't mean that necessarily water that's up to your shoulders is uncrossable because if the water is not flowing fast, it's possible to cross without danger. And in such a case, you would be able to cross even on Shabbat or on Yom Kippur as long as you don't carry anything in the process by like rolling up your clothes and carrying on your shoulders. Only for the mitzvah, 